there's a word that we use. And I wonder what you think when we use this word. The word is consume. And I wonder what thought comes to your mind whenever you hear that word and whenever that word um, starts getting used around people. I wonder what your thoughts are. I wonder, uh, you know, there's a couple of different suffixes that we can put on the word consume and it changes the way we use that word. And I wonder, as it relates to you and me, how we would apply that word to us, and that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. Are we a consumer, or are we consumed? Are we a user, or are we being used up? Let, let me ask you a question. Are you content do you have enough? Do, do you have what you need? As I think about this word, there, there are two images that come to my mind. One is the, the boy in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory who just eats everything in his path. Everywhere, Every time you see him in a scene, it seems like he's eating chocolate or eating candy or he's ingesting something he is the classic user and I think about him or I when I hear the word consume sometimes I often when I hear the word consume I think of a football player his name was Kellen Winslow played for the San Diego Chargers and I'll get to him in a minute I'll tell you about Kellen and why his image and his life kind of jumps to my mind whenever I hear that word consume but I want to I want us to imagine for a minute this morning a profession a, a, a college football player highly touted coming out of college and all that's been talked about from the time of his last game right up until the NFL draft is what position will he go and everybody thinks he's going to go number one and sure enough there's all this hype and there's, there's all this talk about how great this player is. Can you imagine that? It's pretty easy to imagine because it happens every spring. But I want you to imagine that this football player walks in, he, he gets drafted number one and, and he walks, let's say it's the Colts, he walks into Colts training camp or into the Colts offices after being drafted number one the Colts roll out the red carpet. They give him all kinds of money, more money than he'll ever spend in his lifetime. And he signs his name on the dotted line, and they hand him a uniform and, and tell him, okay, this is when training camps start. He gets all kinds of big, huge endorsement deals and more money than he knows what to do with. But then it comes time for him to train. And what you learn is that this guy doesn't want to play. He wants to sit at the training table and he wants to eat with the team. He wants to travel 
with the team and be on the airplane and go from city to city. He likes being on the bus as they go into the stadium from the hotel where they've stayed. He wants to stay in the hotel because those are nice and you get fed real well. And I mean, who doesn't want to hang out with professional athletes and everything that comes with that? When they come for the team picture and they assemble the Indianapolis Colts for whatever year it is, for the sake of this discussion, let's say 0506, let's just say he comes into the picture and, and, and sits, and he wants to be in the team picture, he wants to have his uniform on, wants everybody to know he's an Indianapolis Colt. He doesn't want to do anything related to playing football. My question is, why has the team blessed him with all that money? They've blessed him because they expect him to be a blessing. They expect him to put that uniform on and to go out and to perform the way he did in college so that they can reap the benefit of his talent and his ability. It's why they drafted him. It's why they paid him all that money. It's why they blessed him so that he could be a blessing. A question has kind of been rattling around. I mean, I know the answer, but I think it's a good question to ask just the same. What is Christian maturity? How do you measure maturity in a Christian? In this case, I think that you measure it by identifying whether you are a consumer or whether you are consumed. I, one of the titles that I could have used for this sermon, and I must confess to you, this <laughs> I've, I've really wrestled to <laughs> get this sermon. But one of the titles for this could have been The Difference Between R and D. Because you take the word consume, and whether you put an R on the end of it or a D on the end of it, it makes all the difference in the world as to how you use that word, and it really makes a lot of difference as to whatever it's applied to, how that particular thing is perceived. So the question becomes, are you being consumed? In other words, are you a verb? Because if you put a D on the end of consume, it becomes a verb. Consumed. Are you consumed? Like Paul, listen, Paul was consumed. Listen to how he looked at himself and how he described himself when he wrote uh, to his, his, uh, his young understudy, Timothy. This is 2 Timothy 4. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You, you can just see this, this old man who writes to a younger pastor, and, and he's saying, hey, I, I am being poured out. I am consumed. I am used up. I have to use a, a football term or a soccer term or a baseball, any athletic endeavor really, I have left it on the field. Are you being consumed? Are you being used up? 
Or are you a consumer? Do you put an R on the end of it and become a noun? Using up things and possibly using up people. Do you go through your days looking to be a blessing to somebody else? Or is your life a, a, a constant quest to gain another blessing? To receive another blessing? To, to just accumulate blessings? And where around what corner can I find the next thing for me? How can I turn the world into something that serves me? How can I, 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 I think honestly our church is really pretty good about this, but if you know me very well, you know I don't have a whole lot of patience for people who, who come to our church and the first question they ask is, what can your church offer me? I don't like to talk to people who think that way because I think if you're a Christian and you want to come engage in church with us, the question you need to be asking is, what can I give to God? In your efforts to bring people to Christ, what can I offer? What can I give? These are the things I do. How can I take these things and plug them in and use them? And, and how can I be consumed for Christ? Not, I'm a consumer. It's nice to meet you. I'm here to find out what your church can do for me. A question that we've been asking in the office among the staff for the last year probably it's a it's it's been a pretty common question and and it's made its way into elders meetings and and this question it it haunts us a little bit and i want to throw it out because you need to know um, that that days are coming for us that are we are going to be challenged okay you just need to know that and this question is driving some of the challenges that are coming for our church. But the question is, if Cross Lane disappeared today from Terre Haute, would we be missed? Would it make any difference at all if Cross Lane just vanished? What difference would it make to Terre Haute if the Cross Lane Community Church didn't exist? Now, if your answer to that is, well, I don't think that we would be very missed. We've really got a problem. We've really begin to, got to, we've got to begin to start asking the question, why are we doing this? Why do we get up and come to church? I mean, I hope it's more than just, well, it's just what I do on Sunday. I get up and I go to church. We ask questions like, how would our community be affected if we weren't here anymore? Would anybody care? Would they lament the fact that we're gone? That, that, that you know, oh my goodness, what are we going to do without that church? I believe that as we become a, a more mature church, and as we become a church that is more focused on, on giving than getting more focused on being a blessing than receiving a blessing more focused on being spent rather than spending as we mature we become more important to the community and therefore we gain influence in our community and we therefore increase the opportunity that is ours to see our mission statement fulfilled which is say it with me one two three bringing people to jesus 
how we end that word, consume, whether we put an R on the end of it or a D, whatever stamps your life, it's important. Makes a big difference how we cap that word off. Are we users? We, are we consumers? Or are we being used and being used up? Would it be said of you and would it be said of me and would it be said of our church that the people who know us, the people who go to the Cross Lane Community Church, that they are consumed in this community? They lay their life down. They serve. They, they give. They are generous. They, you know, it, it, like if a waitress sees you coming today, does the thought go through her mind, oh, this isn't going to be a very good tip? Or when they see people from the Cross Lane Community Church walk through the door, do they say, these are people who serve. These are people who aren't interested in consuming. These are people who are consumed. And they're going to be generous with me today. Not just with their tip. Hopefully you do that. Hopefully you do that. But with your attitude, that you're thankful for the service that they give, that you're encouraging, that when you walk out the door... They, they're stepping a little lighter and they feel a little better about what they've done and about the job they have because they came into contact with you. Are you a consumer or are you consumed? How do you end the sentence and how do you end the word? Another question for us to think about this morning. Why has God saved us? I, I used this passage a couple of weeks ago. But I want to return to it. And, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, preaching out of it. In fact, I think you're going to be proud of me today by what time we end. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> we went to Atlanta, Georgia the later part of this week, staff and I and several of our young leaders, and we went to Catalyst Conference. You've heard me talk about Catalyst Conference. And uh, the, the ride back in the van yesterday was spent part of it um, really getting on me about the length of my sermon, so I am really on a mission this morning. I told them, I said, I'm just going to... They were talking about um, taking an average of how long my sermons are, and I said, no, I don't want to know the answer to that. And I said, well, if you're going to average it out, then tomorrow I'm going to stand up and I'm just going to say, Jesus wept and sit down, and I'll, I'll bring my average way back down. So I thought about doing that, but not doing that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. I love this passage of Scripture. This, is, this ranks very high in my personal life. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now lock on right here. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Yeah, it does. In my Bible here, all these words are running together and I'm thinking, I hope I didn't do that on the slides and I didn't. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith this, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Now here's what you need to understand, verse 10. 
for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do the immature Christian wants to get saved and then just live like a saved person just just live bask in the glory of being saved a mature Christian understands that he or she has been saved for a purpose and that it's not just wearing a label or a title and it's not just going to church on Sunday that my being saved means something for my life and it puts a new spin on it it puts a new emphasis on it I literally gain a new mission at the point that I become a believer in Jesus, at the point that I say I follow Christ. That should translate into I have a new purpose. I've been saved for something specific. And that person then seeks to live out whatever that purpose is. I want to uh, show you a video this morning, and, and I you know, I told them back in the back this morning, this, this video is kind of sad. We watched one not too long ago that was kind of like this. These are, they're, they're very similar, but I, I think that this makes my point this morning um, as we consider whether or not we are verbs or nouns. Are we consumed or are we a consumer? Um, it's really about how we live our life as a whole. It's really about what we pursue. It's really about a philosophy of life, and it's really about why you exist. And, and I, quite honestly, am a little disappointed in some of the answers in this video. It's about how we see the world around us. Do we see the world around us as something to serve or something that serves us? Watch this. take it as it comes. Uh, to be loved, to be happy, to have a family that's secure and healthy. Um, to be happy? I don't know. To be happy? I don't know. I don't want to answer that one. Uh, sunshine. Beautiful women like my wife there. <laughs> Maybe a nice cold beer here in about an hour. <laughs> The purpose of my life is to just see what God wants me to do and follow it as best I can and worship Him. Well, I'm retired, just uh, having a good time. I don't have a big mission. Uh, to be a good person. To be a good person. To uh, live in a, uh, and respect other people. The purpose of my life is to have a good time, enjoy life. That's my purpose. I'd say to finish college. <laughs> it's coming up pretty soon. Then I'll move on from there. I'll probably have another purpose in about six months, but right now I'll finish college. Be happy. Be happy. That's it. Yeah, that's as simple as that. Purpose of my life, I just do as much as I possibly can. Join my grandkids. My daughter just got married on Sunday, so we're really enjoying ourselves. Happiness. Okay. Do you understand what's wrong with your life 
if your main mission is to be happy, how many things in life there are to make you unhappy? Do you understand how many things can go wrong in this life that can leave you unhappy? And if your mission statement is to be happy, and one of these things happens to you that makes you unhappy, do you understand how bankrupt the rest of your life goes? Because the one purpose that you aspire to, happiness, has eluded you? Happiness is a bad goal to have as your mission statement in life. I want to tell you about a guy. I, I mentioned him earlier. His name's Kellen Winslow. In January of 1982, he played in what many call one of the most memorable football games that ever was played. It was a playoff game. And uh, I want to read this to you, and then at the end of this, I want to show you a picture. But Denise, don't show the picture until I'm done, okay? Um, Kellen Winslow, in this moment that I'm about to talk about, is referred to by ESPN as one of the top 100 moments in sports. And uh, I, it's, a, it's a little lengthy, but not too bad. But I think it's very interesting, and I think it'll make the point about being consumed that's what i want you to think about am i a verb am i consumed i want you to listen to what this says about kellen winslow the first sign of serious trouble came near the end of the third quarter shortly after the chargers tight end kellen winslow caught a 25 yard touchdown pass to give san diego a 31 to 24 lead as an exhausted winslow walked to the sidelines he felt his thigh cramp up then he felt his calf cramp up he hobbled to the bench ready to collapse. Winslow wasn't the only one. The heat and humidity had turned the Orange Bowl into, in Miami into an outdoor sauna. This January 2nd, 1982 NFL playoff game between the Dolphins and Chargers is considered one of the greatest in league history. I, I watched this game. This is why I remember this so vividly. This game went on for four hours and 45 minutes and left 90 players dragging their tongues across the hot turf. The game started out as a rout. San Diego jumped out to a 24-0 lead, but the Dolphins rallied to tie it at halftime. The Chargers regained the lead in the third quarter, 31-24 on a Dan Fouts to Winslow TD. But the Dolphins come right back when quarterback Don Strock, playing for the injured David Woodley, hit reserve tight end Bruce Hardy for a 50-yard touchdown. The game was tied at 31. The clamor in the Orange Bowl... In the fourth quarter is so deafening, it sounds as if a space shuttle is about to take off. It gets even louder when Lyle Blackwood picks off a Fouts pass, setting up a Tony Nathan touchdown, who runs that, uh, a run that gives Miami a 38-31 lead. After Miami forces the Chargers to punt on the next possession, Winslow is barely able to walk to the sideline. He not only has cramps in his thigh and both calves, he now has one in his lower back. Perhaps the worst spot of all to develop a cramp because it's difficult to stand and to bend over. I felt paralyzed, he would later say. Winslow had entered the game in terrible shape to begin with. He has a bruised left shoulder, a strained right rotator cuff, and a sore neck with which, which he suffered while compensating for other injuries. His condition is so bad that he required help to put on, a, put on his shoulder pads before the game. Now here he is having to be helped to the bench again by teammates. Team trainers surround him like a pit crew. One massages his calves, another rubs his back, another pours fluids into his mouth, but he continues on. With five minutes to play, 
Miami leading 38-31. to Strzok leads a scintillating clock-eating drive that moves the Dolphins to the San Diego 21-yard line. All the Dolphins need to seal the victory is a field goal, but on the second and seven, Andre Franklin takes a handoff and plunges up the middle into a wall of bodies. As he falls, the ball is ripped from his grip by San Diego lineman Louis Kelcher, giving San Diego possession. The oppressive heat takes its toll on the Miami defense, which is now gasping for air and unable to provide any kind of pass rush. This allows Fouts to put together a magnificent drive. He connects with Charlie Joyner for 14 yards, Wes Chandler for six, Joyner for five, and then 15 more. A dead-tired Winslow for seven and Chandler for 19, bringing the ball to the Miami nine. It goes through several things here, missed field goals and different things. I'll skip a little bit. Stock's first down pass is nearly picked off. His second pass is intercepted by Willie Buchanan, who fumbles right back to Miami. The Dolphins drive to field goal range, and with four seconds remaining, um, the kicker, who is the most accurate kicker, runs out to attempt a 43-yard field goal. This is on the other team. Winslow is going to go out and try and block this kick. Winslow, slumped on the bench, trying to hold down liquid, slowly walks back onto the field to try and block the kick. He has never blocked a field goal in his career. He can hardly stand, much less jump. Teammates try to prevent him from going on the field. He pushes them aside. Get me some penetration, Winslow yells to teammates as the ball is snapped. Winslow summons everything he has left in his weak, deflated body. His six-foot-six body jumps as high as it can. As the ball is booted, Winslow tips the kick with his pinky finger on his right hand. The field goal attempt is no good, forcing the game into overtime. After his block, Winslow lay on the ground, unable to celebrate because he is unable to move. He is carried off the field, his body in spasms from his calves to his neck. Coriel, the head coach, approaches uh, overtime as if Winslow is unable to play. But amazingly, the Chargers tight end staggers back onto the field after San Diego wins the coin flip. I remember watching this. I remember I, remember I was just I was high school age. Maybe I probably was a freshman in college at this point. I just could not get over this. This guy just would not stay down. You could tell he was in physical pain. You could, you could tell this was not an act. He wasn't trying to garner sympathy. He wanted to play, and his body was doing everything it could to keep him from being on the field. The, the ball gets moved downfield. Bernerska tries to kick. He misses his kick. Uh, they get deadlocked. Fouts basically takes him down the field, <clears throat> and they get to the place where this guy finally kicks a field goal, and Kellen Winslow and the San Diego Chargers win the game. The scoreboard flashes San Diego 41, Miami 38. Linemen on both teams lay on the ground motionless. As players from both teams struggle to their feet, you need to understand in case you don't know that in football, in overtime, the first team to score is the winner. The minute they score, the game's over. So that's what's happened. This other team has kicked a field goal, the game is over, and everybody just basically collapses on the, on the field. As, both, as players from both teams struggle to their feet, Winslow, who has caught 16 passes for 166 yards, takes three wobbly steps, then falls. His body temperature is 105 degrees. It's later revealed that he lost 13 pounds during the game. He is helped up by two teammates and staggers slowly off the field, flanked by teammates holding him up. Okay, Denise, can we see that picture? The, the, the more popular picture of this you see from the back. Uh, and it's the one that's, whenever I, a lot of times when I hear the word consumed, 
It's the first picture that comes to my mind. Kellen Winslow being dragged off the field by two other of his teammates. Spent. Completely wasted. His, his body and spirit is still on the field. He is completely used up. There should be no such thing as a bored Christian. A bored Christian is someone who has made life all about them. We are called to save. We are called to serve. We are saved to do good works. That's why God saves us. It's predestined ahead of time that we would be saved for good works. I don't know what you would have answered to this question, what your purpose of life is, what, what you're living for, but if it's not to serve and to be a blessing and to be a drink offering poured out on the altar of God's praise and God's service, I can tell you that your life is going to be a lot more boring than the, the lives of people who know what they live for who are committed to something bigger than themselves, who are committed to something bigger than anything can be offered in this world, who wake up every day and say, there are lost people, there are people who are going to spend an eternity apart from a God who loves them unless they come to understand what Jesus did on the cross. That is the mission statement of our church. We don't make any bones about that. You guys know what the mission statement is. I just want to give you a reason to wake up in the morning as, you know, as if you wouldn't already know this but it just never hurts to just come behind it and say that is why we have been saved to serve to not look for blessings and it's okay and you know what if you get blessings thank God for those blessings we all, we all receive blessings we've all in this room been blessed I mean for crying out loud we live in America nothing wrong with being blessed but seek to be a blessing. And if you will, you'll never be bored as a Christian. If you're a person and you've never given your life to Christ, and you just walk around and you think, you know, something's missing. Something's just not, what am I missing? I'll tell you what you're missing. You're missing being a part of something that is bigger than you. And if maybe up until this point you would say, you know, if they'd asked me on the beach what my purpose in life was, I probably would have answered happiness too. I'm here to tell you, that'll leave you high and dry. That will leave you feeling empty. That'll leave you feeling alone. And that'll really at some point in your life leave you very disillusioned. Kyle was right. Days spent with Jesus are not always easy. But there's always a purpose. I always know what I'm driving toward. I always know what the goal is. I know when I wake up in the morning why I'm going to take the first step. It's to bring people to Jesus. So if you've never given your life to Christ and you're wondering why, why this void, it's because you've not given yourself to something bigger than you. And the only thing really, at the end of the day, bigger than you, bigger than earth and bigger than this life, is the one who made you. And we're going to stand and sing in a minute. You'll have an opportunity to give your life to Christ. But before we do that, why don't we pray? What's the difference between D and R? One's a verb, one's a noun. Are you a consumer or are you consumed? Let's pray.
Father, I pray that the answer to that question is that we put a D on the end of it. And I pray that we would be found with Paul writing to some young buck somewhere one of these days. I am being poured out like a drink offering. I have been consumed. I am like Kellen Winslow. I have left it on the field. They are going to have to drag my weary, tired body off the field. I will be completely spent. I'm not in search of a blessing. Every day I wake up, I am in search of being a blessing. Father, I pray that Christians across the world, and not just the Cross Lane Community Church, although I do pray for us that we would be a mature church. That when waitresses see us coming after church, they get excited because they know they're going to be encouraged and they're going to be blessed. I pray, Father, that when our bosses see us walk into work tomorrow, they're excited because they've got the best workers in Terre Haute. Not because we're wanting something, but because we understand that our mission is to glorify God with every breath we take. And that we're not consumers, we are consumed. We're in the business of being used up, pouring ourselves out, being a blessing to other people. Father, as I think about it, my, my thoughts go straight to the cross and I can hear Jesus say, into your hands I commit my spirit. I can, I can sense that the work is finished. It's done. I'm used up. I've spent it all. I didn't leave anything behind. I have poured it out as an offering to you, God. These are our examples. So God, I pray that you would make us that kind of person, that kind of Christian, that kind of leader, that kind of believer. That we would know the difference between R and D. And that we would be consumed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.